danger is stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will Hello and welcome to episode 368 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. Uh, this will likely be our last episode of 2021. So I uh, do wish you all happy holidays and a happy new year. Uh, truly, I mean, we never know what's coming in the new year, but uh, truly, who knows what this next year is uh, going to bring, but hopefully we will at least be able to uh, contribute to your sanity with uh, some more quality podcasting stuff. Um, our guest today is Michael Lukic, who is uh, by trade a uh, data analyst, and we'll talk to him a decent amount about what that means, but he's brought those skills to bear on uh, poker, and in particular on data that can be generated from solvers, and uh, we talk a lot to him about you know what that looks like, about how people can use solvers more effectively, uh, including recreational players, which he is, you know, he's, or he's not a, you know, not a professional poker player. Um, so, you know, what is, what is the value that you can get out of solvers as a you know, person who is interested in poker, but not necessarily like playing professionally and uh, how to get the, what is the, the value of, of studying with solvers, especially from a, a data perspective, as opposed to just, you know, trying to line check an individual hand. Uh, so I think a quite interesting discussion from him, um, a very strategy heavy discussion with him. So we're not going to have a separate strategy uh, segment here in the introduction. Of course, if you do want to hear more strategy from Carlos and myself, and Carlos will be joining me for the interview, um, if you do want to hear additional strategy from the two of us, patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash thinkingpokerdaily, and you can get daily uh, strategy segments from the two of us. Those are a lot of fun, and I think uh, good high-quality strategy content in there as well. Um, if you are looking for other uh, poker, you know, gifts for yourself or other people, or you know, just want to uh, support us a little bit more, uh, nitcast.com, n-i-t-c-a-s-t.com, uh, and that's where you can find some of the um, the strategy podcasts that uh, one or both of us have done with Nate Mavis. You can find the Exploiting Small Stakes uh, tournaments uh, video that Carlos and I did together. You can find uh, ebook versions of my book on there. Uh, so nickcast.com is the place for that. Um, and if you are interested in um, hearing more from Michael Lukic or getting more of his stuff, we mentioned this at the end of the interview as well, but uh, the site that he is going to be opening is called solver.school, and uh, you can access his blog now at Lukic, L-U-K-I-C-H, dot I-O. There's a lot of good free resources on there, including links to um, a bunch of like pretty high quality you know, videos that, that he's made. So a lot of good free stuff available there on uh, lukic.io. And please enjoy our interview with Michael Lukic. Uh, so, Michael Lukic, thank you for uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here and chat with you guys. Um, so, I, mean, I guess my like one sentence take on you is you're like a, a poker data analytics guy. Is is that fair? Do you want to uh, correct or expand on that? No, I mean I, I think that's a good. You know, if if we have to give a one sentence overview, I think yeah, that's no, I need you to boil your entire personality down to just a few words. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, uh, you know, and I, 
I, I kind of have had this uh, career, uh, you know, outside of poker in data analytics and, and technology. And, you know, I've really tried to do my best. And I've also been very, you know, avidly obsessed with poker for a long time. So, you know, combining those two things, you know, that's probably a good intersection <laughs> and a good way to describe me there. <laughs> so, I mean, th this is maybe kind of self-explanatory, but, you know, what just like big picture, what is what is data analytics? What does that mean? Well, it's a great question. It's a loaded question. Uh, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's really, you know, if you want to boil it down to kind of simple terms, it's, it's really just using, using data or using, you know, math essentially as, uh, as a way in which to, to make decisions. So, you know, when, you know, kind of applying that to poker, you know, poker is a game rooted in math. So, uh, you know, in my in my opinion, at least from a data analytics perspective, it's it's using the the math of poker or the data that is generated from you know various tests or tools or whatever the case may be, to ultimately make decisions and build strategies and you know explore this game. So when you're not applying data analytics to poker, you know where else does it? Um, how else does it manifest itself in in the world? What else is it used for? Um, well, uh, you know, so I, everything is, is a good way of looking at it. And, uh, you know, so I can give a sense of, you know, I, I've been in a variety of, of fields throughout my professional career, uh, most recently, and, you know, I still kind of do a little bit of work in this space, uh, is applying in the realm of marketing. So, you know, everything we do today, uh, whether it be, um, you know, shopping for things online, whether, you know, especially like in the digital era, we're creating data as a result of the things that we're doing, right? So, you know, going to various websites, um, you know, opening emails, uh, you know, uh, engaging with content, there's a data trail that follows behind all of that. And what my job has been over the course of the last at least 10 years or so in, in the marketing space has been to make sense uh, of all of that data and try to find patterns within it in order to you know make better decisions and, and build better strategies you know in that case it was it was applied more into the marketing lens but you know i think those general concepts of kind of boiling things down into some type of quantifiable information and uh translating that into a, a, some type of decision making framework is is an application of data analytics yeah i'd I like so, oh sorry go ahead so you're the reason that I've been getting these Oreo ads in my email. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that is an application there, right? And uh, you know, um, hopefully, hopefully they are abiding by you know the you know good privacy regulations and you know giving you the ample opportunity to opt out of those communications. But it is kind of creepy sometimes the way in which you know <laughs> you do get followed around by things that you either look at or click on or or engage with, right? Well, what's the, I guess it's kind of a famous example of the, um, the where it was like Target or, or, or somewhere you figured out that a, a woman was pregnant essentially from her from her purchases and um, where like started sending ads for diapers and stuff to her and she you know she's a young woman still live with her parents and her parents were like angry at them for sending her this stuff and then you know a few months later they found out that actually she was pregnant and you know, they'd sort of uh, just I guess to running the regression on her purchases uh, determined that the correctly determined that she was pregnant. Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's I, I actually, for about five years, I taught a data analytics class uh, applied to marketing at Georgetown University when I still lived in the D.C. area. And I used to, to talk about that story a lot within the, the realm of marketing. And yeah, she, the, the young woman who, in that case there, was, was buying essentially prenatal vitamins and um, um, as well as a few other things at Target. But, you know, whoever the, the data analyst was in that case, um, you know, not necessarily looking at the specifics of things and, you know, just correlated purchases together and, you know, realized that, hey, anytime we saw these various SKUs being purchased, you know, at the same time or in, in batches together, it generally means someone's pregnant. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, that's an, an area where things can kind of go a little bit too far. And, you know, that's why there, there does need to be some type of, in my opinion, you know, human intervention, especially when it relates to things like marketing or, you know, other types of invasive uh, areas. When and how did you get interested in poker? Uh, well, you know, I, I probably have a very similar, uh, you know, kind of origin story to a lot of folks. I, I, I went to college in the 
I went to college in 1999 and graduated in 03. So right when I graduated was when you know money make the year moneymaker won. I played a little bit in college with with friends and stuff, but uh, you know it was really kind of my junior senior year of, col- of college where I started playing more seriously. Uh, that's really when you know online started kind of picking up a lot too, uh, and. You know, I, I had actually had a friend in college who was just crushing it in playing party poker, and I was just I was in his dorm rooms watching him play, and he's just you know essentially printing money online playing party poker. So you know, I was very interested in you know eager right away, and that's kind of I, I jumped into the game and really has never looked back since then. Was it immediately evident to you um, the like data? Ad- data analytics application in in poker or did you kind of come at it the same way that a lot of people were in that era of just sort of um you know reading harrington and winging it yeah it was it was more the latter uh i you know i think it was evident that it was a mathematically based game and i definitely you know played around with some software back then but i think back then really the best software that you know we had were things like like poker stove or Equilab and you know you just had equity calculators right and so and you can only do so much when it when it relate as it relates to you know poker study with with equity calculators especially when you're you know looking at a multi-street game right so uh you know I I was definitely winging it and just reading a lot of books I I you know immersed myself in the two plus two forums and uh you know that's kind of how I really you know came up in the game yeah I was I was surprised we interviewed uh Andy Block a few years ago, and he was talking about doing, I mean, uh, certainly not what like a modern solver does, but you know, he was, even in like the late 90s, already kind of thinking about game theory, like a, a game theoretic approach to poker and using computers uh, to try to you know, solve, um, not with the, the degree of uh, precision that, that modern solvers can, but I mean, that was really the first time that I had heard about someone that far back using modern computing and analysis tools to attack poker. And I wasn't even aware that it had happened until, you know, 15 plus years after the fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. You know, if, if uh, you know, people were doing it that far, that far back, uh, you know, I think really the first time I had at least thought about it from a more game theoretic lens was you know one it was definitely after i went back to graduate school and and took some more formal game theory classes Uh, i also during my time at graduate school took some uh, data modeling courses where we weren't you know building something as complex as solvers but we were building optimization tools to solve different types of problems whether it be kind of like a supply chain problem throughout business or um, you know, marketing mix problems of determining how to best allocate budgets or things like that. But, uh, you know, the concepts were really the same, right? You, you, you put a bunch of inputs into some type of algorithm, you know, that are based on a, a fixed set of assumptions. And, uh, you know, you have an output that you're ultimately trying to optimize off of. When, well, I, so I guess the other thing with the early poker was you kind of didn't need to do this stuff i mean not that it maybe wouldn't have been helpful but coming at things from a more exploitative approach of just sort of like assume people are making these mistakes play accordingly i mean i guess there's still a way that you can apply data to think about like how to best maximize against those mistakes i just so part of this is i feel like i've started working now just in the last couple of years as a coach with people who are really learning the game solver first or like math first and for a long time, in front, you know, this is my story, and I imagine yours as well, and, and I know it's Carlos's, of you, know, you sort of first learn the game in a very, like, you, you learn strategy-based rules for playing the game. Play these hands from this position, bet when you have this kind of hand. If you still have this kind of hand on the turn, bet again. If someone raises you, probably fold. You, know, you sort of learn these, like, exploitative tools or the things that are, I mean, there's maybe math operating in the background, but you're not told what that is you're just sort of like follow these rules dum dum and then you know as, as you get better maybe at, at some point you start realizing like oh i could get deeper into the math side of things and like work with a, a solver and i i am getting the sense now that there are more and more people who are just coming like their introduction to the game is just like immediately looking at your solver outputs and then like you know spreadsheets of aggregated data analysis and and that kind of thing and i don't know if that's just because those tools are better now or if it really is more important now to start that like there's not the same opportunities to start from the the very exploitative uh sort of rule-based um approach 
Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting way of uh, of framing it, and you know, I, I'm not sure what the right approach is, and I'm I'm sure the right approach probably varies from person to person. Um, I would you know venture to argue that there's probably a really really good approach that combines the two of those, and you know, I, I I've done a, a little bit of, of coaching on my own, and that tends to be the route that I like to take with solvers on my own and coaching with others is the you know relying heavily on node locking within solvers to you know ultimately use them as a tool to to test various assumptions right as opposed to kind of starting it from an equilibrium based uh lens you know making those assumptions as to you know what my opponents might be doing in a certain spot or or trying to to test you know the sensitivities of a various of various scenarios and and starting from that angle to find out like maximum exploits from there but uh you know i so i, I really think that you know kind of taking both of those approaches is those approaches is the right route I, I it also probably does vary from person to person right like there's obviously some great players that had never touched solvers right and there's also you know great players that are looking at equilibrium solves and you know they can intuitively be able to adjust from from there and you know kind of understand how to you know shift you know widen their range tighten their range or whatever the case may be but based on a certain uh scenario happening at the table i think uh, one of the barriers that you run into and this is something that we've we've talked about a few times on the show with, with a few different people and i think you're doing something in this direction as well is that the solver, both inputs and outputs are challenges in, in their own right. You know, where uh, the, the solvers are maybe kind of expensive in absolute terms, but not really compared to the, the value of the information you get from them. I think the real expense of solvers is the time that it takes both to learn how to use them and to do useful things with them in the first place. And then even once you know how to use them, I think it's still a little bit time intensive to actually put together the experiments that you want to run and, and consider the uh, results and things like that so i think like the output side or say the input side is, is complicated figuring out what you want to input what you should be trying to input in the first place and then also and this is something where i think we, you know, we are seeing Im improvements maybe on, on both of these fronts is interpreting the outputs is something that is also not at all trivial and is where i imagine your background in data analysis is especially useful is there is just this like huge dump of information and I think it can easily be overwhelming, and I don't think at least a lot, like the most prominent solvers right now, I think, are not great at like prioritizing that information. I like showing people what are the most important things you should be paying attention to, because there are a lot of opportunities to go down rabbit holes of like, why is the solver betting this hand eighty percent of the time, but that hand fifteen percent of the time, and like it probably doesn't matter very much. You could probably just swap those two things, and it would make very little difference. Uh, and like there might be an interesting um, academic answer to that of like, well, there's a blocker here that's not there, but from an EV perspective, it probably matters very little and appreciating the big picture trends of well on this flop you're betting 80 percent of the time on that flop you're betting 20 percent of the time is a lot more important than trying to figure out like why is this hand slightly better for betting than that hand but i don't think that solvers are necessarily that well set up to to prioritize that information or help you you have to know to look and make those distinctions yourself yeah that's uh, you know I, I couldn't agree more with that and it, you know it's there's a lot to unpack in all of that right and it's um you know, you mentioned the the part about like the inputs and and uh, you know there's an input there's inputs and outputs right and there's there's some fallibility in, in 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 both of those right and that's I don't think that's like when when the person first jumps into using them in the first place I don't think that's necessarily evident like I think people when they first get a solver they just start putting some assumptions into the solver and they get the solution out and they say oh well this is the solution this is how I how I should play the hand without realizing that like you know your input is just you're just modeling the game and it's a very simplified like abstraction of what the actual game is right like um and you know i like to talk about this a lot which is just like you know especially when you kind of think of like the ranges that you're putting in right and like i don't know a lot of people who have a hundred percent grasp as to their own range so like how are you possibly going to range another player with 100% accuracy and you know you've run enough solves Andrew to know that like you change the input ranges a little bit right you know and, and even some slight changes of those ranges can have some drastic changes in the outputs and then once you start actually going to the outputs right like you know you can't solve down to a, a perfect solution the the modern computers aren't just aren't going to let us get down to an exact solution so there is some margin of error there so you know let's say you solve it down to like 1% 
there's almost there's a seemingly like infinite number of different outputs that can still meet that criteria of of being a a one within one percent of what that true equilibrium is. So it's it's hard to you know figure out how to actually in, interpret properly. Um, I so when I first started when I first saw a solver for the first time, and this was probably you know 2016 2017 timeframe, it was interesting because I, I was consulting for a marketing firm at the time, and I and I. I had just come off a project where I, I worked for this uh, global company, and they 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 had a huge budget for marketing, and they marketed across a lot of different channels. So you know they had you know they, let's just say they had a million dollars, and they came to us and said, "Hey, we want to figure out how to best spend this million dollars, right? So we want to put some in paid ads online, we want to put some in uh, email, we want to put some in SEO, or whatever the case may be, right? Like they they and they want to figure out how to best kind of pull the levers up and down to, to figure out how to best allocate their resources to maximize like the amount of revenue that's that marketing those marketing dollars are going to generate and when we started building the models for that like we we have to account for the fact that you know we're, our inputs are really going to be somewhat fallible and it's going to be based off of a lot of assumptions so we have to account for you know various sensitivities. Well, what what's what happens if we're ten percent off in some of our guesses? What happens if we're twenty percent off in some of our guesses? Either way, and to really kind of see the effect that that has on the outputs, and sometimes it's it swung things significantly. And it's, but just understanding that, and you know, it it gives a more holistic picture, so that at the end of the day, we can try to you know think somewhat probabilistically, and you know, make the best decisions that we can given the information that we have. I, I caught on, uh, I mean, you said a lot of interesting stuff there, but the, the bit about um, the, the, the solver app, even when you're solving a very specific situation, you're still solving a toy game, right? I mean, it, it's, it's a close approximation of a real no limit game, but for a variety of reasons, it is still a, a toy game. And this is really like, a, essentially, I, I hoodwinked a bunch of uh, people who bought my books because I, I made the first book is like, Play Optimal Poker is mostly very clearly toy games you know the ace king queen game the ace through five game and a fair number of people didn't like that they're like i want real no limit examples so the second book is mostly you know more realistic looking situations of you know here's something that could actually happen at a no limit table and you know it's cut off versus button and here are these ranges but they're still toy games right? they're just toy games that look more yeah. like real but like the thing the both the um it's still an approximation, and what we're doing with it is the same, which is our goal is not figure out how you should play as cutoff versus button with these ranges when you're 40 big blinds deep or whatever. You know, our, our goal is, like, extract some bigger principle about you know, limit hold'em strategy or maybe even just poker strategy in general that will help you make better decisions in a lot of other situations. And I, I noted that in your definition of data analytics back when we were talking about that, you did have kind of an emphasis on that ultimately the goal is making decisions, right? The goal is like producing information that helps you make better decisions. And I think it would benefit more people to think about solver work in that way. I like to use that analogy of um, it's really not the same thing as just looking up the answer in the back of a textbook. And I think that is what a lot of people want to do with a solver is they had some hand and they're not sure if they played it correctly and they want the solver to tell them like thumbs up or thumbs down. And I'm not saying that there's no value to that, um, but I think ultimately what you want to figure out is like, why didn't you already know what the right play was? Like, what was it about that situation that was tricky or if the solver did do something different than what you did um what what was the reason for that <laughs> like what why why is the solver output what it what it is and you know is that relevant for the game that you're playing in and the opponents that you're you're playing against and and that kind of thing yeah totally agreed yeah i, I spent some time over the past day or two um looking at some videos on your youtube page and i can tell that you know uh Andrew's thoughts on this subject are kind of in line with yours, um, where you, um, the process where you, you start by um, no locking based on what uh, you think you would do, which I really love. The, I love the way that you emphasize that as human players, we don't even have a hundred percent grasp on our own ranges. So you're kind of like, you know, uh, guessing even with that half of it um, in the beginning, but you start from somewhere with the no locking and then just kind of like uh, unlock 
um, each player's strategy um, along, you know, this process of um, getting to a, a better result and just comparing all the different strategies you get. I think that's a very smart way of doing it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's 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 an approach that I I started. I'm in various like study groups, and there was uh, after um, coming out of the the Software Y Academy a, a few years back. I, there was a group of guys and, and and me who we would have weekly calls, and that was our basically our weekly call was we would just go through a spot as and we would try to construct you know build our own uh, range construction through that spot and you know that's it was just the whole call was just us iterating back and forth as to um, you know very specific node locks of what you know what we would do versus this type of opponent and it was you know we, we tried to profile what we thought other opponents would look like and you know sometimes we would have very very different assumptions right so you know my my perspective as to the range of a you know tight aggressive player who plays in you know your typical 510 game might be very very different than than Andrews or yours or someone else's right and you know that's where the the variability comes into play but even like looking at you know the solver outputs for each, all three of those different perspectives uh, can yield some really interesting findings and you know I'm sure uh you know the right answer might be a blend between all three of them, or you know they may all be completely wrong, right? right? So, um, but but you know the, the 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 process itself is the is I think the you know a beneficial to actually you know continuing the learning. So but, I oh, go ahead, Carlos. No, I was just um, agreeing with him. Um, I before I, I started looking at your stuff that you have on like on your your blog and your YouTube and whatnot. I my my like kind of initial assumption in the back of my head when you were talking about data analytics and in, in poker was that it might be something more along the lines of like population data, right? Like looking at millions of hands played on uh, ACR or something like that, and um, analyzing things. So I mean, of course, solvers produce data also that and. and we talk about the, like the aggregated data analysis and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, have you done anything, or do you have interest in that? Um, rather than than starting from the like equilibrium standpoint, starting from the standpoint of like trying to get data on what the population is actually doing. I, I've started to a little bit this year. Uh, it's so before the pandemic, I, I would con- would have considered myself pretty much solely a, a live player. Uh, that's where, you know, I, I played online a lot, you know, in the kind of 2000s time frame, but that kind of died down. And then when Black Friday hit in 2011, I actually kind of fell out of the game for a while. I, I was really just kind of a, a casual part-time player where, you know, I might have taken the random trip up to Atlantic City. And, you know, I know, Andrew, you're from the the Baltimore area as well too but uh you know there was a stretch of time where you know I, I lived in DC and you know the closest thing that I had to a casino was was driving up to Atlantic City and you know it's it's uh when Black Friday hit you know it, it was really hard to kind of you know get poker in <laughs> so um but uh when you know there more options started coming around the DC area like Maryland and you know Maryland Live and uh you know National Harbor I, I really started playing live again and that's when I really fell in love with the live game so when I started using solvers it was primarily from a live perspective trying to model you know my perspective of what the population looked like uh, when the pandemic hit it really kind of threw me for a loop and I you know didn't necessarily know where I was going to go from a, a poker study perspective I, I spent a little bit of time last year learning how to play tournaments so I, I really started diving into uh, tournament play and, and things like that uh, and I, I don't I, I never really enjoyed playing cash games online so much uh, you know it was it, it seemed very reg heavy and uh, the it just didn't seem as interesting to me so a lot of what I really enjoyed about live is you know the additional elements of, of game flow and, and game dynamics and you know you're not necessarily working off of a a canned set of ranges and i can kind of pay it i i think i'm fairly perspective at the, uh, at the tables and um or sorry perceptive at the tables and i can you know understand you know well i remember a hand that took place you know two hours earlier so i might kind of add a, a few extra hands into someone's range as uh, in my thought process and you know kind of work through that in the decision making process so when playing online you're playing multiple tables it's hard to keep track of of all of that stuff and yeah you have huds but i'm not really that good at actually in real time you know working through huds and making a decision quickly 
but uh, I actually this year I, I moved to Michigan last year, and Michi- I was lucky enough to be uh, in a state now where uh, it's it's re- there's regulated poker. We went live in uh, um, earlier this year, so there started becoming a little bit more opportunity at those cash game tables. Uh, yes, there's some pros, but at the same time, there's also folks who are um, not pros. I mean. Yeah, there's there's more recreational players, right? There's more. It's it's just it, and it does more model a, a, a live game sometimes. So uh, that's when I really started working with uh, some co- uh, coaches, and specifically, I actually worked worked with uh, Brad Wilson on you know kind of helping me transition from a live to an online game. And Brad's very heavy into that uh, mass data analysis. He's heavy into using things like hand to notes and kind of taking a lot of, of hand histories and and kind of boiling it down to what you know the population is doing from a data perspective. So I haven't dove into it specifically. That's a long-winded answer of saying that I haven't dove into it specifically a ton yet, but I, I really, really love that space. I love what Brad's doing. Uh, you know, I follow a lot of what the folks at Detox like uh, Nick and Patrick Howard are doing. And, you know, I think that's a really awesome approach. And, you know, if it was something, you know, I, I still find myself gravitating more towards the live game. I, I'm not as much in on playing online, but you know, if I were to be spending more time really studying online, that's an approach I would 100% take. Um, what do you think about, um, I know you have the video and I've uh, watched where you look at the Poker Out Loud um, series from um, Solve for Why, where it kind of helps you to better model your opponent um, by listening to the thought process that the players give between hands like we just talked about how it's hard for us to guess what ranges these people uh, will be playing in these spots so it helps to like hear them say what they would do with certain hands but it doesn't help as much as seeing what they actually would do with certain hands because like you said uh we really don't know what we do uh with our ranges like we could give guesses like the guys do on the show but oftentimes you see them do things that they're kind of like after the fact surprised that they they did um so like andrew was saying when you're playing online you get a ton of data that you can use to actually see um what people do as opposed to what they think they do um you don't get so much of that live um unless you have like the the software wide thing but even then it's just their thoughts about it so um, my question is like have you done or have you considered doing like some sort of data analysis where you look at various um um various instances of like live footage where it's going to be hard to get this on one particular player but like maybe different different players in the same scenario to kind of see uh as a population what do um people do live um i know that um uh, zach elwood has done something like this in terms of like identifying uh poker tales um live so you know you get the same type of situation amongst various people and kind of see how they respond tail-wise in in these different spots. But since you're more of a a live guy in terms of your data analysis, maybe do something like that on the um, analytics side. You know, I I love that approach. And it's, um, you know, I... It's actually an area where I had talked with uh, Berkey about this uh, about a year or so ago. And there was somebody in the Solve4Y community that was... I'm actually not sure where that project stands, but there was someone in the Solve4Y community that was building some type of a recoding something to scrape hands online and, and turn that into an actual hand history that could be uploaded into like poker tracker or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think that would be really, really, really cool. And, you know, especially on the aggregate to, you know, get a bunch of different hand histories in the, the challenge I think that you would run into with that is you know so even so I'll, I'll go back to the you know sometimes in my coaching sessions with Brad Wilson will will be going through a spot and I'll be talking through my thought process and I might say exactly what you just said there right like I well I think you know they might do this in this spot or I think this person might you know more often like fold their most of their range to this spot and what Brad will actually do is like say well let, let's go to data and find out and he'll pull up his you know, 50 million hand database of uh, a certain spot. And, you know, we'll look at things on the aggregate and say, 
oh, well, actually, you know, this type of profile player, you know, in this exact spot here, you know, will actually not, uh, you know, over, will actually overfold in that spot so you can, you know, bluff or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I think even when if you were scraping live hands, you would actually need, I think, a lot of live hands to get a sample and i'm not sure like how many <laughs> like live hands you could actually get right like i mean you know you get to a a normal poker stream and you know a normal poker stream of of eight hours might get what 250 hands 240 hands if that uh so and i think you might need somewhere in the range of like millions of hands to actually get a decent sample size to be able to do these kind of large-scale analyses yeah that's a good point yeah, this is a problem that I've run into with a lot of my like exclusively live um, coaching students where they'll, I mean, you, often it, it's to say something about their win rate, you know, like uh, I've been consistently winning for a year in this game. So, mm. um, I mean, that's, it's not totally meaningless, but like, it's just, it's so hard to get a big sample size live. And even more so when people are like, you know, I, I think there's a lot of talk about like, well, how can I recreate a HUD when I'm playing live? Like sort of try to keep track of how often this player raises versus folds. And I'm like, it sounds like a lot of work to ultimately gather like a hundred hands worth of data, which is not <laughs> something you can really like do that much with anyway. Um, so I'm often kind of like poo-pooing people's, which I feel bad about because I, I, mean, I think the, the instinct is good to want to have a more mathematical or, or like data-based foundation for the things that you're doing i just think those um those sample size problems are, are so significant when you're playing live never mind that you're also missing important context of like just because the guy limped when he had 60 big blinds and then like you see him later limp when he has 20 big blinds that's like it's a totally different situation or even just like a different player on his left might lead to him doing something different so i also feel like there's so many confounding which i guess i mean that's sort of encapsulated in the data problem i suppose but um i think sometimes the things that we have to do to try to make situations isomorphic um you end up losing a lot of important uh texture yeah we definitely agree with that um so the the project that you're working on now solver school like what exactly is that doing well uh you know it partially maybe my my midlife crisis of <laughs> uh you know I, I turned 40 this year and i i really kind of I, I don't know. I think I felt for a long time, you know, a little while now, somewhat directionless in my corporate life and, you know, lucky enough to be able to, you know, be in a, a situation where I can kind of uh, take a chance and, and devote some time towards, you know, getting a, a different project off the ground. But ultimately, I think this was, uh, you know, I so I started at the beginning of the pandemic last year, or I guess before the pandemic, I started my own personal website, which you've you've got alluded to some videos on there a, a couple times. And that's that site is Lukic.io. And I, I really what I wanted to do there was I, I wanted to start sharing some of the data analysis work that I, I was doing, uh, and kind of really combining the, the professional skills that I had with with applying that to poker and you know I, I didn't really necessarily know you know what type of of audience that there would actually be for that um you know but i just was kind of sharing things a little bit broadly and what i found was i think that there is a a, a decent size uh, niche of folks within this community who are interested in understanding the game you know at a, at a deeper level um are interested in kind of exploring the depths of this game you know through data and through solvers and things like that so i've gotten some you know really good feedback uh you know from people you know all over the world, uh, which has been really cool. I also, you know, had a a product which I, I really just was honestly a, an Excel spreadsheet based on uh, some mass data analysis I did out of solvers that I put together and I, I sold on my site and I've and has you know had a, a decent uh, number of them have 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 been sold, which has been really great. And I thought that there might be an opportunity to actually explore serving this market a little bit more and uh you know building products and solutions that can kind of ultimately you know f fit this niche so what i'm trying to do here is is you know really I'm thinking of it as like a way of like democratizing like data analysis and, and making it kind of more available and and to kind of the masses I think there's a lot of just mis misinterpretation of how to actually use them um, as we've discussed of what those solver solutions actually are and how to uh, utilize them within study processes within um, you know to build strategies and things like that 
So, you know, all I'm essentially I'm starting with a kind of masterclass course, if you will, and I'm, I'm basically building like a, a, a 25 hour course on solvers and data and analysts, uh, data analysis and, and, and how someone should be using solvers, uh, starting from kind of the very basic foundations all the way to some more advanced applications. And then, you know, so, and I'm planning to launch that in January. And then from there, the, the plan is to actually start building out some kind of more interactive data products. And, you know, not necessarily sure exactly where that goes. I have some ideas. I, I really wanted to, I've been grinding on getting this first uh, product out the door and, and launching that in January. But, uh, you know, uh, after that, I'm, I'm ultimately starting to try to explore how can we, you know, kind of dive into this game a little bit more from a data perspective and ultimately visualize, you know, that data in a more effective way to convey some of the strategies or, or concepts of this game, you know, better. Uh, obviously, you are going to, uh, you know, have a, a biased opinion on this, but I mean, how many people should be using solvers for doing their own study as opposed to just you know, watching a, a training video or, say, buying a book from uh, someone who's like already done the solver work and can just like tell you what the, the takeaways are? Like what what's the value add of doing the, the solver work yourself? Um, I think the value add comes to because I, I think your, your, your point is uh, the point that you're making is like not everyone should be using solvers. And I would agree with that, right? I, I think that it solvers are not for everyone. And I think there's a lot of value for just, you know, I mean, you can learn the game through, you know, a, a lot of different ways. You can never touch a solver and, um, you know, and because a lot of the, the materials that you're getting, you get, or a lot of the strategy that you get ultimately probably, you know, have, you know, the people who wrote those, <laughs> you know, are, are kind of taking insights that they actually, they may have gotten from solvers or, you know, elsewhere, right? So, you know, you can get that information. It should be anyway. Like, I think in, in, in 2021, yeah, yeah. you're making a mistake if you're consuming a lot of material that is not uh, solver or data-based, I think. I agree with you there. Um, but I, I think of this as like, you know, there, I think there's there's the people, there's a lot of people who are very curious, right? Or, or, or who want to explore the game themselves. And, you know, I truly do. While the, while solvers are very limited, and you know, I, I sometimes I, I think I come across as like the the negative side when I, I'll talk a lot about kind of the limitations that solvers have, and you know, the fallibility of our inputs, and you know, how sometimes the outputs are. We have to kind of take them, take certain ones with a grain of salt, and and whatever the case may be. But I truly do believe that they can help you come towards an answer towards a lot of if not all of the questions that you might have within poker uh, it it just takes a while and it, and it, and you have to actually be pretty meticulous with your test setup but there's i think there's a, a group of people who are really 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 want to explore this game and you know want to answer very specific questions and and, and i think solvers are the right fit for them right as long as you have patience and you understand how they can best be applied I, I think it's 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 a great great tool in someone's study arsenal yeah I, I fully agree with that and i think a lot of people um recreational players especially would benefit from thinking to themselves a little bit like what this is often one of the first things that i ask people in a, in a coaching session and encourage people to think about is like what is it that they enjoy about poker you know like i i don't think for very many recreational players that even people who want to make money from poker it's not like poker is the best way like if all they cared about was making money they could certainly do something else with their time other than play poker and, and make more money <laughs> doing it so you know it's like yeah you want to win at poker but i think there's for i mean obviously i'm people who are listening to the show and seeking out me for coaching is a pretty self-selected group but it is people who are you know probably a little bit geeky in their enjoyment of poker like the thing that they enjoy about it is not so much the gambling side of it as it is the or even the social side of it i'm not that they don't enjoy those things but like part of it is kind of like the beauty of the game um and i think that that's really if, if it's just a matter of i'm just trying to get as good as poker uh, as good at poker as i can with minimum amount of time spent studying i wouldn't recommend solvers for those people like i think that at that point you just want to pay someone else to do the solver work for you and have them give you the high level takeaways. And yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, but I think there are a lot of people who fall in that category. I don't know how many of them are like fully honest with themselves about this, but like part of what they enjoy about poker is just the like, 
geeking out over trying to like answer some of these uh, questions for themselves or like feel like they're exploring the game and, and, you know, actually reaching their own, like there's something intrinsically satisfying about that, about um, achieving your own insights or questioning received wisdom or using a solver to like test received wisdom or maybe modify it a little bit. Um, I think that there is actually a bigger audience of people for that than it might immediately think and i imagine those are the people that would you know, benefit most from this kind of um tool or course yeah i, I mean i i definitely agree um I, honestly i i fit into that category of, of folks right um like i you know i think there's a, there's definitely that, that was not lost on me when i was <laughs> <laughs> um I, I definitely think uh that there's a lot of people who actually probably prefer studying over over playing yeah. and you know i'm not quite in that category but it's close right like i i you know, I, I, it's one thing actually I have realized about myself over the the pandemic, um, is uh, that I, if had I, you know, made the decision because I, I came to that crossroads decision maybe 2005 ish timeframe when I was playing a lot online and I was kind of you know early in my career and not necessarily making you know a decent uh, you know huge salary I was making you know like you know an entry level salary and playing online I was starting to kind of you know eat into or you know I, w- I was eating into the time that I you know would be if I wanted to really kind of devote uh, a full-time playing full-time online I had that I came to that crossroads of you know maybe I should you know switch over and try to play more professionally and you know take give that a chance and I ultimately decided not to which I think was probably the best thing for me because I actually don't think that I have the mental game that would be able to stand playing full-time for for a living too so uh, you know but um, I you know definitely you know being in that camp of of, of exploring the game and and you know it is a beautiful game right and there's there's infinite complexity and you know I've been 20 years later now and I'm, I'm still feel like I'm constantly learning new things and because I am right and so uh, you know and, and you can study this game for a lifetime and, and, and still not know you know very much <laughs> what um, I, I know you mentioned doing a little bit of stuff with with Berkey what's your relationship with uh, Sal for why um, I uh, so I Berkey and I, um, like, uh, we, I went to, you know, the academy back in 2019. So I went to the regular academy, and then uh, Berkey invited me back to the for the elite academy later in 2019. Uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, obviously, like, the my live play deteriorated, and, uh, you know, I, I haven't necessarily uh, been out to Vegas as much. Uh, Berkey and I have kept in touch, and he's been an awesome mentor for me in in this game i've uh tried to help the solve for why guys out from a marketing side uh so you know we've kind of have reached some like symbiotic relationship uh, to some uh degree there uh but so you but might not been... be responsible for oreos but you are responsible for some of the emails in carlos's inbox <laughs> <laughs> possibly that's possibly uh no i but i still like I, I still keep in touch with with them and, and work with them and actually earlier this year i um berkey invited me to uh, lead a mastermind on the solve for why website about uh, you know, studying the game and playing the game as a data analyst. So, uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, love everything that, that they do from a content perspective. And, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, hopefully when, you know, live play starts returning back to where it was pre-pandemic to continue, you know, working with them at, at some level uh, in, in, you know, all of the things that they're doing. What is, a, um, when you say a mastermind, what is that? Uh, so, because I know you have you have a course that that's on the SolverWise site. Yeah, uh, and they, I'm actually not too familiar with their other offerings, which I don't know if that's like <laughs> bad to admit. But uh, so they have like a monthly um, like a monthly webinar type thing where it's like as opposed to kind of being courses that are recorded with in like individual sections, it's a uh, you know one and a half to two hour long course about a or sorry a webinar about a specific topic. So uh, Berkey, you know, asked me if I was if I wanted to uh, put together a uh, a webinar essentially, and you know about you know how to approach the game and how to approach studying you know from a data analytics perspective, and uh, I was eager to jump in on that. So I did that earlier this March. It's it's up on the Solve for Why site behind the the paywall, and uh, you know there's a, a two hour long webinar where 
you know, I, I go through a set of, of slides and uh, you kind of based off of uh, a, you know, some of the materials that I actually on my website, I kind of like reapplied some of the things and some of the tactics or applications and into kind of a, that a webinar course. And then, you know, took some question and answers from, you know, the variety of people who were on live and then came back a week later and did like a Q&A office hours type thing on the course as well, too. Nice. So what's interesting to you now? From just in terms of your, I mean, I know you're working on on the course and everything, but in terms of like your actual study in poker, you know, what what are some questions that you've looked into personally for your own uh, use? Well, I spent the last, I would say, year and a half trying to work through flop play. Essentially, I mean, I, I was I was I was studying a lot on the flop, and I think a lot of that was around the data product that I was selling, the, the spreadsheet that I developed, I, I, I built some kind of mass data reports that came out of uh, um, PO Solver and, uh, you know, first started with a, you know, set of assumptions based off of kind of a, a subset of, of flops and tried to kind of boil them down into various heuristics to build into a flop strategy. And that's kind of evolved over the years. I, you know, kind of reached an end of that over the course of this year. Uh, I, you know, wanted to start shifting gears into into some other parts uh, of the game tree so i've actually been spending more time on 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 turn and river play but uh recently but um you know i also have been trying to refine how to how i can better profile people and and translate that into uh you know some of the inputs that i might do within solvers too so you know i've I've actually like a lot of the work i've been doing more recently has been very hyper focused on trying to build exploitative strategies using solvers not necessarily trying to kind of look at it through an equilibrium lens i think that's an important thing for people to to realize that solvers can help you do exploitative things i mean i i try to make that argument in my book i know other people have like made that argument elsewhere and i'm still not sure it's fully sunk through for everyone like i think there are, are there's there's still a sort of um wall of resistance out there of people who are like game theory equals robot and like that you can you know you can use game theory to help you develop exploitative strategies and certainly you can use a, a solver to help you develop exploitative strategies no, totally. Game theory is just, um, you know, game theory is just a, you know, set of concepts, right? And it's, it's, you know, it's just the math behind everything. But once you, and that's, you know, I kind of even think about it like, you know, you have your set of inputs with solvers and you have your set of outputs. And we think, we tend to think of the strategic frequencies as, you know, that the solver spits out as a set of outputs. But that kind of plays both ways and those strategic frequencies can be a set of inputs as well too right and and like and you know by locking certain portions of the game tree like you're essentially treating that as an input and kind of solving around that so you know that's kind of like it's it's a dual like input and output <laughs> that can help you <laughs> how important is it i mean so you talked about like doing a bunch of flop work and then now starting to look a little bit more in, at turns and rivers. I mean, if you're using a solver and even if you could, I don't know if this is, is even the dream, but I mean, supposing that you could sort of download a, a solver output, just fully lock it into your brain where you can play the flop exactly the way that a solver would, but you're kind of on your own on the turn and river. Um, how important is it to like get those spots I guess, like, how much of a liability is it going to be that you're not going to know what the solver would do on the turn in river after it peels the flop with a gut shot or something like that? You know, like, where, what's what's the sensitivity there? Yeah, honestly, like, not much. And uh, <laughs> that's where I've kind of started to come to that conclusion is, is um, it, you're still, no matter what, going to get to spots where, when you get to turns in rivers, where, like, you're imbalanced in a certain way, right? And, like, you kind of have to make adjustments based off of that. And, you know, I, I'm certainly, like, one, not, you know, in a, not ever going to be executing things flawlessly. And I, I would argue that I'm probably not the best at, like, executing, you know, you know, based on even, like, whatever strategies that I put together, right? Like, I, you know, will make mistakes all the time, you know, compared to what my you know, general strategy, quote unquote, would, would, would actually tell me to do. Um, but, you know, it, this took me a while to actually even understand too, where, you know, there's you, a lot of times when you, you'll write, you'll work with, uh, you'll look at the solver output on a flop and, you know, it'll be, the EVs will be very, very similar to whether you check or whether you bet. And, you know, it's, 
especially when you start kind of getting down to the individual like hand or combination level, like they might be, you know, almost identical and you might come to the conclusion like, well, I guess it really doesn't matter what I do. And, you know, this is where I kind of, you know, tend to kind of fall back on just bringing things back to those more macro levels and, um, you know, the same types of concepts that you might, you know, even back going back to like the books, right? You might get to the, from the books anyways, which is like, what is, you know, your overall range want to do at a certain spot and, you know, trying to follow the general incentives of your overall range play and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind of trailing on, on, on your question. So your specific question was, uh, how, how important is it that that you can implement turn in the same turn in river strategies that the solver would like even if you can do exactly yeah. replicate exactly what the solver would do pre-flop or on the flop how much is, is that going to end up hurting you if you can't do exactly what the solver would do on the turn in river uh, yeah i got you so so that's that in that case i don't think it's really that much to be honest with you i, I mean because at the end of the day again like my our opponents are are not going to be reaching those turn nodes those river nodes with the same type of equilibrium range that you know a solver output might you know get to those turn and river nodes with right so like ranges might be very very different than what are uh you know what actually happens in real life anyways so you know it starts coming down to you know your the concepts that you can generate from from solvers and you know understanding you know very very high level concepts of you know well you know is the range that i carried with me to that turn spot uh, you know, greater, you know, do I have more equity than my opponent? Do I have less equity than my opponent? Do I have, you know, more coverage than my opponent or less coverage? You know, how is my nut coverage, right? Like, you know, it's my nut combo coverage, right? So it's like, there's there's a lot of different factors that go into play there. And I, I this is where the, the deviation from solvers, it, it's not necessarily exact, like that you have to be precise with things, right? It's it's more of, you know, a guiding, a guiding light, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to think that that's it's like you don't have to be precise. It, it, it's OK if you're not finding some of the like edge case bluffs or something that a solver might, because often by definition, those are like very low EV. I mean, exploitably, they might be high EV if your opponent turns out your opponent like badly overfolds or something. But in general, like the consequences of making mistakes at the margins are pretty small. I mean, I think it is. Like we could construct a theoretical player who plays so badly on the turn and river that they'd be, you know, they they really should just deviate. I mean, they should probably just not play poker, but like they, they should deviate <laughs> dramatically from what a sovereign would do on the flop because of the kinds of mistakes that they're going to make on on later streets. So I think that you do need like the high level. Um, you need to know how to get the big stuff right. I mean, you need to recognize when you have a hand that's like clearly strong enough to value bet or like clearly not good enough to call a, a future bet, a subsequent bet, or, or something like that. Um, but I think that a lot of people probably um, overestimate, you know, how the, the difficulty of doing those things. Like, I think that if, if you have like a, just a kind of decent baseline understanding of, of poker strategy, then what's going to be sort of common sense or natural to you on, on later streets is will probably end up being like a decent approximation, a decent enough that like you can justify following the solver strategy on the flop, even if you're not entirely sure what the strategy is going to be on the, the turn in river. And then the other thing you said that's important is your opponent is also not going to do their side perfectly. I mean, maybe that depends a little on who your opponent is, but like, I think that what you need to think about is the relative like the skill deferential between you and your opponent uh, where it's okay if like both of you are going to get into situations later that you're not sure about you just need to be like at least as good as your opponent is and where you might start to get in trouble is like i think if i were playing against like ike haxton i would be defending my big blind tighter than a solver would and tighter than i would against a different person even if i know that a solver says oh it actually is plus ev to call here with king five offsuit like i'm probably not going to get that you know 0.02 big blinds in ev that the solver <laughs> is going to when i'm out of position against ike haxton so I think that, yep. you know, they're like, and again, but that's a margin. Like, I'm not going to fold Jack 10 suited, right? Like, it, you know, it's knowing where those margins are. I think that's, and, and that's another one of those things that I think solvers are not great at, at putting that information front and center. I mean, I guess most of my experiences is with PO, where um, it really like the, the like big colorful information is like, these are the hands that call, these are the hands that fold. And like, you can find the EV of those calls, but it's not centered you know like you have to do a little bit of work to find that visually it's not prioritized information and i think that's important to recognize that like some of those calls are very plus ev and some of those calls are barely plus ev and it's okay to not make the barely plus ev calls if you have reason to think that you are maybe not going to capture that ev 
Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And I, I mean, you know, when you start, the the thing is that's what's, you know, it's when, especially when you start extending things into to turns and rivers. And one of the things I like to do a lot is because the solvers will mix everything, right? And, you know, I, I don't know anyone who could, you know, mix things well, right? So, um, you know, one, trying to stay pure. And I'll, I'll try a lot of cases to, you know, keep frequencies somewhat aligned at a macro level but you know reconstruct my ranges so that i'm pretty pure at individual combination or hand levels but also you know trying to make sure i have a good sense of how my range flows from into turns and rivers and realizing that you know if i ever get to a spot like where i'm in a river where a a river decision where i'm you know folding every single thing in my range or you know calling everything every single thing in my range like i've probably made a mistake somewhere and (laughs) You know, trying to retroactively figure out where that mistake was, and you know, you know, try to you know find b- bigger patterns that I can correct from there. Um, are you are you familiar with GTO Check? Have you done much with that? I'm familiar with it. Uh, I think you know, I, I love the Finding Equilibrium videos, and yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've I've seen the the product, and uh, but I haven't necessarily played around with it a ton it's it's on my list of things to do though cool. yeah I, I was curious I, I know carlos is, is a fan of that stuff as well and um it, it strikes me I, I haven't delved a lot into it i do have a, my series on on um solve for why i am i am using it and that was really my first time uh using it in like because i probably didn't take full advantage of the uh, of the features but i do think that's an, an interesting example of someone who's trying to present the data in a more um you know, tr- trying to prioritize uh, the the decision making rather than just like the raw output, and I think in particular the idea of like putting EV regret front and center and thinking about like what is the consequence, like thinking about how to simplify these solver strategies, basically of what if you just played all of your hands this way, or at least like what if you played all of your strong hands this way? It's a, a sort of like making buckets that are more logical for a human because as you said like a solver is perfectly happy just like mixing across every single combo that it might have but as a human you're going to benefit from trying to create buckets that are a little a little more intuitive and i think at least the i'm not sure honestly like how good that ev regret um metric is uh but i like that idea of, of you know trying to find a way of still using math but trying to use the math to develop intuitive strategies rather than you know the 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 mess that a sovereign gives you sure yeah i I love the idea right like i love the idea of that metric it it is still based off of equilibrium right so uh you know there is i think going to be some like error right or or i shouldn't say equilibrium it's based off of you know the estimate of equilibrium i guess based off of you know the ranges that are that are put into place um but I, i i love the idea of that and i also absolutely love the framework through which they present everything from starting from that, you know, macro level down to that kind of middle meso level into the micro level. And, you know, I, cause I think that's a really like excellent way to think through range construction, right? When you're playing a hand and, and kind of, you know, starting up at that whole holistic range level and only working your way down to the more granular levels when you want to kind of, you know, sort through close decisions or edge cases or whatever the case may be. Yeah, another thing that it does, GTO Check has a function that allows you to uh, filter out some of those edge cases, and that kind of allows you to do what you're saying, Andrew, which is to um, focus on like the uh, more fist pump um, EV decisions and the the spots where it kind of does a lot of mixing. You can kind of like filter that stuff out to get a better. Uh, view of the the most important points yeah uh michael i know you have uh kids to pick up from (laughs) from school i think uh carlos did you have any last uh questions or anything you wanted to um no i just want to uh recommend uh michael's uh website again to everyone um lukish.io um i've really enjoyed l-u-k-i-c-h dot io yes uh, I really enjoy uh, watching the YouTube videos over the past couple of days. Um, I was already a fan of the uh, Poker Out Loud series, but just having him um, do some videos, kind of like digging deeper into that stuff, was uh, uh, both eye-opening and entertaining. And he's a really good teacher, also. So, as a as a a fellow um, uh, former um, educator, um, he does a really good job of presenting the material as well. 
Yeah, I, thank you. I appreciate that. I agree with that, and also, I mean, I think even in the background of some of your videos, Michael, just explaining like the idea of a linear regression, or um, I mean, I, I think just sort of like statistics that certainly poker players should be familiar with, and like probably that just like human beings, just like certain certain. Um, they're really methods of thinking. They're not just methods of, of doing math. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, there's nice explanations of, of those things in your videos as well. Thank you. Thank you guys. And if I can give a, a shameless plug Please. of, uh, my new website will, will, uh, so the new pro uh, project that I'm working through that I plan to launch in January is, uh, is called solver school and the website for that, which I don't know when this is actually airing, but I plan to launch the website before the product, uh, in the next couple of weeks or so at the end of, of this year uh, is called solver.school. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael, for uh, for joining us and I guess keep us posted on the new school. Thanks, guys. And I really appreciate being on. And, uh, you know, well, the one thing I, I'll say just, you know, to wrapping up, uh, you know, I was uh, definitely sad that uh nate has kind of stepped away from the show but uh carlos really excited that you have joined and uh continuing to kind of keep this show going because uh, like i said i've been listening to this show for you know five at least five years or so now and it's been a, a staple of you know my previous commutes and now my long walks outside so uh you know excited to continue listening to you guys in the future as well thank, thank you for that and may all of our listeners um convert their um, commutes to long walks. <laughs> <laughs> Much better for the mental health. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. Take care. Thanks, guys. of a car light of the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law I know you won't